when I got this assignment, I got excited, right? Because that was the original, yeah. I got excited because I thought, wow, I have physical help. It was a time in our lives where we had started, we were fasting, and Nate and I had decided that we were going to start doing exercise. So I was like, okay, I'm trying to get fit, and this is what God is going to talk to me about. I'm a personal believer that when God speaks to you about stuff, he gives you the grace for it. I mean, the enemy rises up against you, but then the latter is so much greater because the end result, it's greater than if you try to do it in your own strength, right? So here I believe that God is going to talk to me about physical fitness, and I was going to bring you a word about physical fitness, right? Nah, ain't happening. God began to speak about stress. And it was interesting because I was in a season where I was highly stressed and God was finally giving me a way out. After 17 years, God finally said, okay, I'm going to put a stop to some things that are happening in your life. So it was a good thing. Um, we're going to be speaking today about the, sem- the seven common sources of modern day stress. And what the Bible says are the cures. What are the things that we can do? to change those stresses. One of the first stresses is worry. Now, you think about worry, and you think it's no big deal, right? But it actually is. And it's unfortunate, but the worries that we face this day and age were very different from that of 20 years ago. And I believe that technology plays a big part in that. Um, I'm constantly looking on Facebook, right? I mean, I kind of go through. I try. I've been trying to kick the habit, but I always find myself thumbing through. One of the reasons why I don't want to be on Facebook anymore is because I'm always reading about negativity, about the things that um, are happening. And, I mean, it's great to know what's going on in the world, but it's a problem when it takes a toll on you. You know, I used to listen to the news first thing in the morning, and I stopped doing that also. Because I decided that when I decided I was going to start my day, I wasn't going to be focused on the negativity. You know, I hear about rape cases. I hear about assaults. And I find that I'm always looking over my shoulder throughout the day. And, I mean, it's always been out there, right? People have, and, and I'm not minimizing it, but women, men have always been raped because it's a woman and man thing now. People have always been robbed and assaulted. But because I'm hearing about it so much more, now I'm paranoid. And I'm always looking over my shoulder. And that creates a problem because I'm worrying. I'm worrying about something that maybe I don't have to worry about. I mean, thank God I've lived 38 years. And I can count. I mean, I've been, ass- I've been robbed. I've been assaulted. But it doesn't happen every day. So why should I be looking over my shoulder every day? Constantly waiting for, for something to happen that's not going to happen. That's a source of stress. And the problem is that you don't recognize that is a source of stress. It's become so common that you don't realize it. And as Pastor said earlier, you know, you go outside and you're reading it on signs. You're thumbing through Facebook and you're seeing the postings. You turn on your TV and they're talking about it on the TV. It's everywhere. You know, um, some people say that worry is a waste of time, but it's so much more than that. The Bible says in Job 3.25, 
Job said, for the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. And when I read that, like a light turned on for me, because I realized that what I'm doing while I'm worrying is I'm creating a blueprint for the enemy, showing him what it is I fear, so that when he wants to attack me, all he has to do is take that blueprint and use my own strategies against me. It, you know, you could tell I'm married to Nate. The illustration I'm about to give. God has started to talk to me basketball. <laughs> Never was a basketball fan, but God is talking to me basketball. You know, in the middle of Nate watching one of his games, God was telling me, you know, this is how it is. It's kind of like we spend a lot of our time, you know, we're playing against, we're on one team and the enemy's on the opposing team, right? And then we take the ball and we dribble it across to his side of the, of the court and we dunk it in to his basket. And then we get so frustrated with God, wondering how the enemy is winning all these battles when we're scoring the points. We give the, we give the enemy the tools to battle against us. We show him the strategies. Because the truth is, all he does is he shows us a picture. There's no color on that picture. There's no details. And our worries add the details to this picture. And then when it's finished, he uses it against you. And then you go into the, woe is me. Why do these things happen? Truthfully is you did it to yourself. The self-fulfilled prophecy. Jesus. So that was, worry was number one. Number two, I'm so guilty of. Number two is hurry. Hurry, H-U-R-R-Y. We are always in a rush. Nowhere to go, but I'm rushing. It's so bad, I made an excuse for it. So when I don't got nowhere to go and I'm in a hurry, you know what I say? I'm in a hurry because the people behind me are probably in a rush. And I'm not being, you know, I'm not thinking about them when I'm taking my time. The same way I want when I'm in a hurry, when I'm in a hurry for people to move, I got to move too. It makes no sense because there is so much stress attached to being in a hurry. And you don't recognize it. Like, you know, I have been saying for a long time, it seems like time has just been flying. Like, what is happening? There are not enough hours in the day. And that's not true. You know what it is? That I'm in so much of a hurry, I'm not enjoying my journey. Time is flying by because I'm spending the time stressing about getting somewhere, about doing something. And, you know, I, I started to think back, and I realized that I trained. This wasn't something that happened overnight. I trained myself to be this way, or I allowed myself to be trained. You know, when I was younger, I worked fast food. And in the fast food industry, you have to be fast. You always got to be doing something. You can't sit back. You can't relax. Because if you relax, then you're not doing anything and you would get in trouble. I did that for so long that now I'm naturally prone that way. There's no relaxation because relaxation to me means that I'm not being, I'm not being proactive. I'm not accomplishing anything. God didn't create us that way. You know, I laugh because we go, you go away on vacation, 
I mean, it takes a couple of, it takes about a week to really unwind and get yourself to a place where you can actually enjoy yourself, right? So you got to go on vacation. You got to take at least a two-week vacation, right? That second week goes by so much slower than the first one, and you wonder why. It's not that time is any different. It's that I'm different because I'm, I'm enjoying the process. I'm not focused on what my next task is going to be. I'm actually taking my time to enjoy and savor. And even, you know, focused on how I'm feeling. Because I don't know about you guys, but in my hurry, I'm not worried about how I'm feeling. I push everything to the side. I'm focused on I'm here. I need to be over there because I need to be over there at a certain time. And the only thing I'm focused on is getting there. I'm looking at the clock wondering how am I going to arrive there. And it takes away from the journey because the joy is in the journey. And it's so bad that I look back and I've lost so many years. Like sometimes it's a blank. You've ever left your house and you get somewhere and you don't even realize how you got there? You just know that you got there because you were so preoccupied with other things in your mind on the drive that you didn't stop to look at the, center, at the scenery as you were driving by. You were just focused and frustrated because the people in front of you weren't moving fast enough, because the person next to you was, you know, blocking you. You couldn't get into the lane. It's just about being, you know, getting where I'm going. And it's not about getting what I'm going. It's about enjoying it. So hurry is the second source of stress. You know, God shows me things in pictures, right? And we say we're the microwave generation, right? Because you pop stuff in the microwave, you heat it up, it's fast. Something that I realize about my food when it comes out on the microwave, it's hot, yeah. And it may be soft, a little too soft sometimes. Yeah, but after a while, like, the heat, it gets cold faster than if I did it, than if I heated it up on the stove. When I heat it up on the stove, the meat is tender. If it's rice, it's fluffy, it's not hard, right? And not for nothing, when I slow cook things, the taste is so much different. As Americans, we do everything in a hurry. We do church in a hurry. And we're looking to convert people in a hurry. And we don't get the same results. And then we wonder why churches aren't full. We have the, the swinging door effect. People are coming in and coming out. Part of the problem is this relationship. We're not teaching them relationship. We're teaching them to seek for God's hand and not his face. And something, you know, when you seek God's hand, when God gives you something, is limited. You know what I'm saying? If I ask God for a million dollars, guess what? A million dollars is going to run out. Now, if I seek God in relationship and I seek his face, then he, he's unlimited. He can continue to give me. And guess what? Not only would he give me, he might not give me the million dollars, but I don't need a million dollars. He'll give me what I need, when I need it. And guess what? He'll give me enough to give to those that are around me. Because it ain't about me, right? It's about God called me, not for me. He called me for the people that he called me to influence, right? 
Because if that was the case, we'd have a whole bunch of clothes in this church, right? The minute people would come to Christ, pastor would pray, lay hands, and they'd disappear to heaven, and you'd have their clothes here, right? And pastor would be the only one that would have his clothes. Because guess what? He would have to stay here to pray for everybody else, right? We can't expect pastor to do all the work. It's our responsibility also. And you know, in order for you to inspire change, you got to change yourself. So this is an awesome opportunity the next eight weeks to slow cook, to introspect, to figure out what God wants to do in you, and then to begin to do it because, you know, word without deed is dead, right? Action without words, actions without deeds are dead. You can't talk. Jeez, why can't I get that? Can somebody help me here? Words without... Anyway, the point is this. You could talk about it till you're blue in the face, but if there are no actions behind your words, then it's of no consequence because people aren't looking at what you say. People are looking at what you do. Your life is speaking a, lot, you know, is speaking a completely different story from what sometimes your mouth is saying. And it's time that we recognize that as a people. So I said number one was worry. Number two is hurry, right? Number three is crowds. Now it's funny because some people will say, I'm a people person. I love people. People don't stress me out. I get energized around people, right? Tell me that at 8 o'clock in the morning when you're stuck on a packed train and you're trying to get to work. Do people energize you? Are you excited about the people? Do you want them close to you? Are you loving on them? And if you're not taking the train, how about if you're in the car, stuck in traffic? How much fun is that? Because I love people, but I don't love them that much. I'm so sorry. That is, the only t- that is one of the times that I have to ask God to forgive me the most. Repentance for me happens in the car Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday mornings on my way to work. It's one of the most frustrating things. (laughs) So, you know, you think that crowds really don't stress you out because some people think you thrive in crowds. And it may be true, but it all depends on the situation. And, you know, it's so bad because everywhere that we go, there are crowds. Everywhere. You go to Manhattan, you have foot crowd. If I hate car, th- car crowds, I hate more foot crowds. I hate that I can't walk because somebody's cutting me off. Like, that is so frustrating to me. Yet it's something that we experience on a day-to-day, right? And it's not even something that you think about. You get frustrated about it at the moment, and then you kind of dismiss it, and you continue. But that one moment could affect the rest of your day if it frustrates you enough. So... Crowding is a source of stress. The American dream once upon a time was considered living in the country, right? Because everybody wanted the house with the fence, and you wanted space. And you find that people that have the American dream, that live in rural, country, in rural states, rural countries, rural spaces, now are seeking to get to the city. And it's funny, something about the city, right? Because you find that you pay a whole lot more for a little bit more space. 
yes. And it's frustrating, isn't it? It's frustrating for you to get home and for you to be cluttered. But you don't have as much space as you want. So crowding also affects us in that because we don't have enough space. You may love your husband to death, but you need some breathing space sometimes. You know, you need to stay in the living room and I need to stay in the room because we need, I need a breather, right? Sometimes that's not possible for some families because we're one big room. So we just got to kind of deal. So crowding affects us in many ways and it creates a lot of stress. Number four is multiple choice. We have so many choices. Society has been tricked into thinking that choices is freedom. And actually, it really isn't. You think that before you go out and you buy a tube of toothpaste, you got to do some research if you want to find out what's in that tube of toothpaste. Because nowadays, it's just not one tube, right? You have Crest. You have Colgate, you have Minty Style. I mean, the Aquafresh, you have so many different brands of this that supposedly do the same thing with different um, ingredients. And sometimes that's frustrating, right? You just want what's best. But how do you know what's best if you don't do the research? Multiple, um, multiple choice paralyzes us sometimes. You want to go out to eat. What do you eat? Have you ever gotten frustrated because you're going out to eat with somebody? You're like, what do you want to eat? And they're like, ah, 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 ah. Exactly. That's one of my husband's greatest frustrations. I'll tell him, babe, what do you want to eat? Whatever you want to eat. And he'll tell me, I'll be like, nah, I don't want that. <laughs> but go ahead, choose something. And he'll tell me something else, nah, I don't want that either. And finally, he's like, make the decision yourself. I don't care. We'll eat anything but I don't know what I want to eat. Whatever you want to eat. <laughs> Indecision, <laughs> indecisiveness is so frustrating. But that's what multiple choice does to us. If you have too many choices to make, it paralyzes you. And if you really think about it, that happens in every aspect of our lives. We have so many decisions to make. Sometimes we get frustrated. Let me tell you, one of, the great, one of the worst decisions I have to make on a daily basis is what I'm going to have for lunch. I hate making that decision. And you guys think it's funny, but after a while, I've been working in the same place for 17 years. I am so tired of everything that is in the vicinity. But I got to eat, right? So I got to make a decision. That's probably why Nate has such a hard time when we get home, because at this point, I'm like, ugh. <sighs> Crowding. Number six, another source of our stress is five. I missed five? I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Loss of privacy is number five. No privacy, right? Recently, I heard that I had this thing on my phone, location devices, that if I was able to go into it, my phone would tell me where were the places that I would frequently visit and it would be able to tell me what time I was there. And it kind of freaked me out because I'm like, wow, people keep track of me on my phone. And to take it even further, there's some apps I have on my phone, like Retail Me Not, that the minute that I'm in the vicinity where there's a mall, I get a text message saying, these are the sales. 
Is that not tracking? How do you know I'm by a mall? You're tracking me, right? Yes, very weird. If I post a picture on Facebook, I got to take location services off of it too because then you can figure out where I was and what time I was when I took that picture. Is that not tracking? Yeah. That's why you shouldn't be taking pictures of your kids and posting them on Facebook without taking them off because you could have some lurkers that would come visit your child. <sighs> you know, we think about the conspiracy theories and we think that they're just that. But are they really? Like, I mean, people are constantly tracking you. Do you realize that every time you purchase something, there's someone keeping track of what you're purchasing and where and why? Like, everywhere that we go, they're keeping track. It's become such an issue that now we have the identity theft issues. So now I'm constantly worried about where I'm buying stuff and my identity because I don't want somebody else to steal from me. Loss of privacy. These are things that are happening in the background that I'm kind of stressed out about. It's stressing me. I'm constantly worried about, but I push it to the back and I pay it no mind, right? Because I think that I'm all right. It's a way of life for me. It really doesn't affect me. Number six, diversity. The melting pot of New York City. We have all cultures. We know all, you know, we accept all people. That's not stress. That's a way of life, right? But what happens when you don't agree with one another? Because nowadays, you can't just agree to disagree, right? Either you do what I say or it's wrong. You're not accepted. And we find that in Christianity more than anything, right? Because we should be okay with how other people serve. But the minute that we want to serve, it becomes a problem, right? We can't say Jesus in public. <gasps> what would we be thinking? Diversity has its pros and it has its cons. And sometimes we don't realize the amount of stress that diversity causes us. You know, we want to be like the new age. We want to we be acceptant of everyone. But is everyone acceptant of you? How do you feel when you, what you believe, when you're um, being challenged because of your beliefs, when people are coming against you because of whom you choose to believe in? You know, recently when the churches, have, churches were being broken into, that people were being killed because they believed Jesus Christ was the Lord. When you heard about that, did it bother you? Did you feel some kind of way about it? Because I know I did. But again, that's something that we push down, right? And we just continue to live life because that's the way we've been trained. And we think that there's no effect. There's effects. And number seven, the fear of the future, the what ifs. And you know, as a single parent, I used to suffer from the what ifs. So much so that 
I needed to know the whole story before I took a first step. Faith for me was me thinking that I knew the story and then taking my first step because I thought that that was smart. That's how we make decisions. But you see, then I came to Christ and I realized that his ways are not my ways and his thoughts are not my thoughts. And just because I think that it's the right way doesn't necessarily mean that it is. But I'm jumping ahead of myself. So those are the seven, right? I said number one was worry. Number two is hurry. Number three is crowds. Number four is multiple choice. Number five was variety. No, was loss of privacy. Number six is diversity. And number seven is fear of the future. Now we're going to start talking about what the Bible says. How do we combat these stresses? I'm going to read Psalms 23. I'm starting to love this Psalms. Every time I read it, I get something else out of it. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of right in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. So we're going to take that verse strip by strip, and we're going to talk about how you can combat stress using that specific verse. I think it's awesome when we're able to deal with today's issues using the word. Nobody can tell me that the word is not alive and active because I was able to implement it into my life when I first came to Christ. And now, 11 years later, it's still active. It's still alive. Every time that I read it, God gives me a new interpretation. God speaks to me through it, gives me new revelation, and, and I'm able to apply it into my life at that specific moment. God is good. So the first cause of stress we talked about is worry. Worry is constantly asking, will I have what I need when I need it? And you see, now you take the first scripture that says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need, right? So if worry says, will I have what I need when I need it? Then my question is to you, where's your reliance? Where do you place your reliance? If you place your reliance on limited sources, then no, you will not have what you need when you need it. But when you place your reliance on an unlimited source, which is God, when I rely on God, when I can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. You see, I don't have all that I need because of me. I have all that I need because he's my shepherd, because he has my back. You know, it's very easy to get lost in the source. Like you go to work every day, you get a paycheck. 
you can easily think that your boss is giving you that check. And you paying your bills is contingent upon your relationship with your boss. But that's not true. Your provider is God. He may use that specific person at that specific time. But guess what? When that door closes, another door opens. And you know, it's so frustrating because... I'm jumping ahead of myself. The first antidote to stress is to look God to meet all my needs. The Bible says that God sent his only son to die for me, which meant he loved me enough to send his son. Would you send your kid to die for somebody else? If he was willing to send his son to die for you, What does it cost him to give you something to eat, to clothe you? He's the owner of all the gold and silver. It's all his. This is his. Now, if I had a choice of giving you 10 bucks to get something to eat or giving you my firstborn, what would I do? I give you 10 bucks, right? Because 10 bucks ain't going to cost me nothing. It don't mean nothing to me. But if I give you my firstborn, then you know that I love you. Like, there's a covenant. And let me tell you now, I ain't giving you my firstborn. I ain't giving you my second. But I'm just saying, I ain't Jesus. I ain't God, right? But what I'm saying is, is you know. Oh, yeah, don't get no ideas. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You guys know that. You can measure the level of relationship according to, the, to my level of surrender, right? What I'm willing to surrender to you tells you what my level of relationship is with you. Elder was speaking to, to us about that last night as husbands and wives, right? So if God gave it all for you because I know that it had to hurt to watch his son die on that cross. He gave it all for you. Why do you doubt that he won't meet the little things, the things that don't cost him anything? Why is it so hard to believe him for the little things? How come we can come up here and say, Lord, I believe that your son died on the cross for me, but I can't believe that he'll pay my rent this month. I can't believe that Monday morning I'm going to have a job. I'm so stressed out about these things, you know? My phone turned off. He makes me lay down in lush green meadows, and he leads me besides calm, quiet waters. So much of my stress comes from always being in a hurry, working way too hard, way too much. And as a Hispanic, it's also something that's ingrained in me. I was taught that hard work pays, right? I was taught that I always have to go above and beyond. And part of it is, is because you know that, well, depending on, you know, some Hispanics, my parents didn't have a a great education per se. So they struggled. And the way that they thought that they were doing me a justice was to teach me the struggle, teach me how to work. 
because work meant that I was going to eat, right? I don't know how many of you guys see it. This is older lady that comes into my office. She's like 88 years old. You know, she has back issues. She has arthritis. She's, she, every time she walks in, she tells me, el que no trabaja no come. And she works, and she works hard. She's been working, cleaning up apartments, and she's been doing it since she got to New York. I think it's been like 50 years. And she works hard. And the problem with that is that there's no time for rest. And God created rest. And during the rest, it's a time of rejuvenation, Jesus. Where you get to plug in and really hear God. Because in the hustle and bustle of the day-to-day, there's so much going on that I really can't hear. It's in the quiet when everything shuts down that I truly get to hear what God wants to say from me. You know, we come to Sunday services and we enjoy worship and, you know, we hear the word and we take it with us. But the thing is, is that we're supposed to take that word with us and in our own space, in our own time, we're supposed to go over it and we're supposed to hear what God has for us. You see, some of us don't have that kind of time, right? You carve out a little bit of time to come into service And you hear the word, and you get excited, and then you run back home, and you work. You take your days off to catch up on the stuff that, you know, you couldn't get done throughout the week. And then you wonder why life doesn't change. You wonder why it's the same old, same old every day. And part of the problem is that God has been talking to you. He's been trying to give you the wisdom and the strategies, but you're not listening. And then you get mad at God. You know, I can't help but think about Adam and Eve, right? When Adam was in the garden that he sinned against God, that God approached him, he said, it was that woman that you gave me. So in essence, he wasn't blaming Eve, he was blaming God, right? And we do the same thing. Because sometimes God is placing things in your life to catch your attention. Because we're in the zombie stage. Like we're just going through the motions. And God is trying to wake you up. And then you get frustrated with God and you say, God, this is the reason why I can't prosper. But you see, you're blaming the source and the source is God. God put that there to wake you up, to snap you back up. So in essence, you're saying, Lord, it's your fault that I'm here. And it's not God's fault. God has been trying to wake you up. God has been trying to get your attention, but you're just not listening. You're not hearing And part of it is is that we're so busy that we don't stop to hear what God has for us, to get direction, to find out what wisdom he has. We think we know him. But again, his word says that his ways are very different than ours. I can't expect to know the mind of God if I'm not plugging in, if I'm not reading his word, if I'm not sitting down and trying to hear what he has to say to me. Forget about hearing him for everybody else because sometimes it's real easy to say, oh, that word is for so-and-so. They needed to be in church. But you see, when you listen to the word, you got to take what belongs to you first because you see, things don't change until I change. Rick Warren said, he said that there were three things that we needed to do during rest. We needed to rest our bodies, refocus our spirit, and recharge our emotions. 
But you see, I looked at that and I said, hold on, that's an equation for me. Because if I rest my body, plus if I refocus my spirit, then I'm going to recharge my emotions. And that's so important because when I recharge my emotions, it changes the way that I behave. When things change the way that I behave, then the people around me change. And when the people around me change, my perspective changes. So there's a chain reaction there. That's why it's so important to plug into God. Like you really got to get to that quiet place. You want God to change your situations? Give him some time. Plug into him. Because all you need is to change your emotion. Once you change your emotion, everything changes. Why is it so hard to allow yourself to take time off? Even Jesus took time off. You know, the story of Jesus is in the Bible because Jesus wanted us to see how it was done. He gave us the model so that we can replicate it. And, you know, he took time off. He was all God. He was all man, but he was all God, which meant he didn't need rest, but he chose to rest. Because we needed to understand that we need to rest. We're not machines. We need the downtime. God knows that it's in our rest that we actually get strong. It's kind of like if you went out and you worked out, right? And you work out, work out, work out, work out, work out, work out, work out. Seven days a week. You're not going to get the same results as if you work five days. You work out five days and you take two off. Because those two days of rest, your, mu your muscles are beginning to rebuild themselves. When you work out, they break down, right? When you rest, they rebuild. Are you giving yourself opportunity to rebuild? Psalms 20, okay, 2 to 3. He makes me lie down in lush green meadows and leaves me besides calm, quiet water. He restores my soul. When we read that, we envision the scenario of a calm, calm water, right? And just laying in the lush green meadows. Isn't that like so relaxing? Doesn't that do something for you? You don't even got to be there. You just got to, you know, envision it. And something happens. As I was reading that, I thought about Jenny. And Jenny post on Facebook all the time the pictures of the sky. You've seen them? And flowers. And sometimes I'm having such a hectic day and I look at the sky pictures and I'm like, wow, that is so beautiful. And it's crazy how through her perspective I'm able to see that, right? But how many times do I go outside and I look at the sky and say, wow, it's beautiful? I don't do that. I only see the sky when Jenny shows it to me. But I should be looking at it, right? Because the sky attests to my God because my God created that sky. And he made it for me to see it. You know, one thing that's on my bucket list is to see the world. God talks about how beautiful heaven is. The streets are made of gold. There are going to be colors in heaven that we have never seen here on earth, right? But I decided that I need something to compare it to. So when I get to heaven, I want to make sure that I see the world. I want to make sure I see, you know, 
Niagara Falls. I have yet to go to Niagara Falls. I want to see the tropics. I want to see the world that God created and all the details that he placed in because he did it for me. But you see, I'm so busy going through life focused on things that don't matter, on things that are going to stay behind anyway, that I lose the beauty of what God did for me. God loves me, and he loves you too. And God is a romantic, and if he put all those things out there, it was because he wanted you to see it. He wanted you to know that he loves you by looking at those things. How many of us really take the time to look at them? No, I'm trying to catch myself now. So one of the ways that we can rest is to get outside every day and begin to look at our surroundings. As you're driving to and fro work, begin to see, like, look at what God has done, the beauty of it. You know, the way that in winter everything dies down, right? But in summer, during the spring, it blooms again. And there's a beauty in every season that God desires to show us. We take it for granted. We don't even bother looking. Surround yourself with beauty. Surround yourself with art, with music. Have you ever noticed how when there's music around, even if you don't want to, your head starts bowing. Sometimes your foot starts tapping. You could be in the worst mood, but you listen to music and it does something for you. God created that. Maybe it's time that instead of, you know, on your drive home, focus on everything that went wrong throughout your day, turn on the music and listen to what, you know, worship God, praise him. Remind yourself of who he is and what he's done for you. Changes everything. Go to God for guidance, number four. This is so important because indecision has become a common source of stress. We spoke about multiple choice, right? And about having to make decisions. There's some decisions that we shouldn't be making that yet we constantly try to make and then we get frustrated about. God is there with us. The Holy Spirit is in us. He lives in you and he has the answers because he knows your end from your beginning. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. You may not know, but he does. And he desires to communicate with you. Why don't we? You know, we look to all different sources for answers instead of looking to the source that we should be looking to. You know, I laugh because there's a story. The man, the boy, and the donkey. As I was reading that, I thought about, about that. A man and his son go out. Once they... They're, going, they're taking their donkey to market. As they're walking along by its side, a countryman passes by and says to them, you fools, what is a donkey for but to ride upon? So the man puts the boy on the donkey, and they went off on their way. But soon they pass a group of men, and one whom said, see the lazy youngster? He lets his father walk while he rides. So the man ordered his boy to get off the donkey, and he put himself on the donkey. But they hadn't gone far when they passed two women, one whom said to the other, shame on that lazy lout. He let his poor little son trot along. Well, the man didn't know what to do. But at last, he took his boy up before him, and they both got on the donkey. 
By this time, they had come to town, and the past buyers began to talk about them, pointing them out, saying, that man, that man stood and asked, well, the man stood and asked, what are they scoffing at? And a man responded, aren't you ashamed of yourself for overloading that poor donkey? You and your hulking son? The man and the boy got off and tried to think what they could do. They sought and they thought until they realized, I know what we'll do. They tied the donkey's feet and raised the pole and they carried the donkey. They went along amid the laughters of all who met with them and came to the market bridge when the donkey getting out, getting one of his feet loose, kicked out and caused the boy to drop his end of the pole. In the struggle, the donkey fell over the bridge and his four feet being tied together, he drowned. That will teach you, said an old man who had followed them. Please all and you please none. And you know, we spend a lifetime trying to please everybody. We change according to what the people around us think we should be doing. When all along the Holy Spirit lives in us and he created you for a specific purpose and he knows exactly what you should be doing and when. And yet you're looking to everybody else. What you fail to focus is that when it's all said and done, you're going to stand before God and you're going to have to give him account. And it doesn't matter what anybody else said. And it doesn't matter what you went through. What's going to matter is, did you get the job done? Did you do it? And a lot of us are going to go before God and say, but so-and-so said, and so-and-so said, and so-and-so said. And you know, what that taught me is that it doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't even matter what I'm doing because sometimes I do the right things for the wrong reasons, right? Because that verse said, depart from me, I never knew you. The man said, I preached in your name. I casted out demons in your name. So he was doing the right things for the wrong reasons, right? Sometimes we think we're doing the right things because the people around us are telling us that that's what we should be doing. But you see, that's the wrong reason. Because they didn't create you, God did. And if you're here, that means that you still have a purpose. There is something that you're supposed to accomplish while you're here. And if you're not doing that thing, then you're not getting the job done, right? And how do you expect God to say, good and faithful servant? He may say, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus. 11 minutes. Trusting in God in the dark valleys of life. I'm going to skip around because I, I want to get to the bottom. You know, it's very easy to get frustrated with God when you're going through and you don't understand. But what you don't realize is that sometimes you're going through because there is something within you that God is looking to get out. And he's not looking to hurt you. He's not looking to destroy you. He understands that it is necessary to get that thing out of you because it's necessary for the next season that he's taking you into. So today, 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. When I first came to Christ, I came to Christ at a time where I was completely emotional. But I didn't realize that I was emotional because I wasn't emoting. I wasn't crying. I wasn't. I had gone through a traumatic time in my life prior to coming to Christ. I was in a long relationship and my boyfriend at the time was murdered. And the way that I dealt with it was not dealing with it. Kind of pushed it to the back burner and got up on my two feet, dusted myself off, and I kept it moving, right? Because I had to live for me and my daughter, and, you know, there was no time to grieve. And that was a mistake, but I didn't realize it. It took me three years, three, four years. Then I came to Christ, and God had me on my face for a season, and it was just crying. And I didn't understand why I was doing so much crying. It was like everything that everyone said to me made me cry. And you see, God understood that in order to take me to the next level, he had to deal with me in that level. Because me not grieving had paralyzed me. It was affecting the way that I thought. It was affecting the way that I lived. It was affecting my interactions with people. I found that things that I would naturally excel in, I could no longer do. And it was because I didn't grieve. The Bible says that even, G- even God grieves. So grieving is a godly emotion. But I didn't give myself an opportunity to grieve because for me it was a sign of weakness. But you see, God is looking for some of you to grieve. There are some things that were taken away from you because they didn't serve the new season that you were going in through. And you refuse to grieve them. But you haven't let them go either. So you're paralyzed. So what valley of shadow are you walking down right now? Is it the valley of shadow of death? Is it debt? Is it conflict? Is it depression? Is it illness? Is it discouragement? Because it can be so many different things. Today, I encourage you to turn that over to God, to take this opportunity these next couple of weeks and really introspect. And in order to do that, you have to do it by yourself. And you got to be honest. You have to take an honest assessment of who you are, who you think you are, where you came from, and where it is you want to go. And then bring that before God. And see if that measures up with what he says about you. You know, I'm going to end there with this. It's very easy for us to talk about faith. And we do it all the time. And we're constantly throwing faith, right, in people. And we're talking about live by faith, do this by faith. But faith is not faith on its own. It's a process. And what makes faith strong is relationship. And it's a shame that some of us have been in Christ for a long time, 
but we don't have a relationship with Christ. We have a relationship with the people of Christ. We even have a relationship with the church building because we'll come and we'll spend time, we'll clean it up, we'll dust it up. But we don't have relationship with God. We've gotten so frustrated and so angry because things have not turned out the way that they wanted, we wanted them to turn out. So we turned off that part of our lives. You know, the real deal is the next couple of weeks, the things that we're dealing with aren't things that could be measured with the eye. It's internal. God is giving us a tune-up, and we really have to submit to the process. So while I got excited when I thought it was physical and I thought, you know, we were going to be talking about eating right and exercising, I'm more excited that God is dealing with my inner being. Because I didn't recognize the effects that stress have on me. I didn't realize that my day-to-day, the things that happen in my day-to-day really affect me, affect the way that I do things, the way that I think, the way that I feel, the way that I treat people. But the truth is, before I get to work in the morning, I've already, you know, I've been indecisive. I've had to make decisions. I've been stuck in crowds. I've worried. Like, there's a slew of things that have gone in, on in my mind before my first interaction with my first patient first thing in the morning. Now i got to ask myself, do I mirror Christ in my relationships? I'm not talking about when I'm happy. I'm not talking about when I get out of church first thing. I'm talking about when I don't feel like it, when I'm angry, when I'm hurt, when I'm stressed. Do I represent who Christ is? Because the real deal is, it ain't about me. It's not. When I get before God, he's not going to ask me about me. He's going to ask me about the things that I did for others. So I pray if you get anything today, it'd be that perspective change. And that we begin to really move, to remove the stresses in our lives. To take time to rest in God and to get direction to see where it is that he's guiding you. Because some of us have been moving in opposite directions, thinking that, This is what God has for me, you know, because this is what needs to be done. When God is saying, no, I need you over here. I need you to do this. This is what I need you to do. And you see, I function my best when I'm doing what God has called me to do. When I am actually flowing in the purpose that God has for me. That's when I'm most effective. Because guess what? Nobody else is called to be me. There's no other you. There's no carbon copy. Nobody can do it like you do it. Nobody will have the connections to the people that you have. When God created you, he took great detail in fashioning and forming you because he understood 
that every detail that you see today was important for you to be the person that you are in order to influence the people that he's called you to influence. So don't take it for granted. 